this episode of Real Christianity, today I'll be continuing my teaching through what I believe is the Yosemite Valley of the Bible. It's one of the most beautiful and wondrous sections of scripture filled with towering truths that every Christian must understand. Get ready for a rich discussion on the gospel of Jesus Christ. All that coming up right now. Welcome to Real Christianity. My name is Dale Parchers. Today's episode is titled Romans 3, 23 through 25a, the three-piece plan of salvation. Now, as you know, the show is an audio and video ministry of relearn.org. If you're watching this video recording, uh, please be sure to subscribe or follow along for more biblical content. If you're listening from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, thank you guys for your faithful listenership. It really does mean a lot to us. If you don't follow our ministry on Instagram or follow me on Twitter, we'd love to have you. Instagram is the place where I curate daily content, post valuable resources on the gospel, marriage, uh, the Christian life. Uh, and Twitter is an absolute uh, firestorm of theology warfare and would love to have you join me there as well. Lastly, we're approaching the end of 2022 and next year is just filled with plans to produce an abundance of resources that help Christians understand their Bible, uh, disciple their family, fight back against the culture war. If you've never donated to our ministry, would you consider doing so this week? Uh, our plans are are bigger and I think better than they were last year, but our budget uh, is limited. And so we really want to ask you guys to pray alongside us that the Lord would provide uh, the necessary resources for us to do that. You can also uh, learn more about what we're doing uh, at relearn.org. You can also give at relearn.org forward slash donate. On that note, let's go ahead and get started on this episode of Romans 3, 23 through 25a. Now, when you examine cosmology and astronomy, when you think about uh, these, these incredible sciences, you're going to find hundreds of points of vital study. And you're going to find that the theory of relativity, the expansion of uh, of the universe. You're going to find out about Jupiter's moons and Saturn's rings, and you're going to find out all this beautiful, wonderful uh, points of study. And there, there's no more vital focus in cosmology than the focus of the sun. The sun essentially is uh, the centerpiece of our solar system. Uh, the entire solar system revolves around the sun. And Romans 3, 21 through 26 is like the sun of the biblical solar system. So those five verses right there are really absolute vital. The entire Bible really rotates around those passages of scripture. Um, last week, we covered verses 21 through 22. Today, we're going to be covering, again, verses 23 through 25a. Now, when I say 25a, what I mean by that is it's the first half um, sometimes passages are broken into pieces because they have a comma or maybe a semicolon. And so when I say 25a, it really just means the first half of the verse. Next week, we'll cover uh, 25b through 26. Um, we learned that the foundation for these verses on justification by faith alone, which is what we've been talking about, were really laid out by Paul's 63-verse uh, curated and coordinated argument uh, that all men are equally condemned by the law and that no man can justify himself by works of the law before God. And so I summed up this argument that Paul was making with the simple statement, you, you might remember it, um, a low view of the law always leads to legalism and a high view of the law always 
leads to grace. Namely, when a person thinks so lowly of the law that they actually can keep it or that they can actually meet the righteous demands of the law, they'll try to, and they'll become a legalist in doing so. But when you realize that you can't keep the law and it's impossible for any man to make themselves righteous or justified before God by works of the law, you will have not a um, a low view of the law. You'll have a high view of the law, which will lead you to a high view of grace, a need for grace. You're going to run to the cross. You're going to run to Jesus. And so like Jesus, uh, Paul is a law amplifier. He is constantly reminding Christians that they cannot keep the law. And the law is not just what you do. It's even what you think. Um, beyond that, it's also original sin. Uh, we know that James chapter 2, verse 10 talks about the idea that uh, even if you've obeyed the law in every aspect, but fail at one point, you become guilty of all of the law. So even if you've had a, quote, perfect life, uh, but if you sin one time, you're essentially not meeting the righteous demands. And we know that all people have sinned because it's not sin. Sin isn't something that we learn. Sin is something that actually uh, is in us. We are born in sin. Um, we don't learn to become a sinner. We are sinners. And so this is really um, a shocking reality, especially to the Jews who really thought that justification was by keeping the law. And so uh, Paul then says that righteousness that comes from God, the righteousness that we so desperately need because we're not righteous on our own. Um, it's been manifested apart from the law. And that's kind of a shocking statement, again, to a Jewish culture. And that means that for sinners to attain righteousness um, is not by obedience of the law, uh, but by faith only in the one who actually did keep the law, which is Jesus Christ. And so uh, it's not that you can't be made righteous uh, by the law because Jesus Christ was made righteous by keeping the law. But we have to understand that Christ wasn't just a person that was able to keep the law because he was really, really obedient. No, he was actually born without original sin because he wasn't born of Joseph. Uh, he was born of the Spirit of God, and he didn't have that sin that was passed down from Adam from generation to generation where all men had died because they were born in sin because uh, uh, the sin that was passed down from the seed of the man uh, to the woman. And so he was born of the seed of uh, of the Holy Spirit. This is why the virgin birth is so important. If Jesus was born of Joseph and not born of the, the Spirit of God, uh, he would have been born in sin with original sin um, from the fall. And uh, that's why, again, it makes it so essential. So his aim is to encourage people not to be better at law-keeping. That's not what Paul's doing. That's not what any of the New Testament is doing. Uh, but to drive people to find their justification through faith alone in Christ alone, the only one who kept the law perfectly and righteously, who can give you his righteousness by faith. And so I also spoke on the material characteristics of faith. Um, this was that faith is both a gift of God. It's also the antithesis of work. In fact, if uh, faith, I would say, is best characterized in rest, um, you know, uh, justification by faith alone becomes essentially the perfect means for God to save man without man's involvement at all. Um, and so today we look at 23 through 25a, which are really the grounds for the previous verses. They're the cause and the support for what Paul just said. And what I mean by that is that Paul is going to show how these verses will explain why a person can be justified by faith alone in Christ. Essentially, these are the grounds that make faith a justifying reality and why it works. And so um, 
Paul says here, if we just follow along here, Romans 3, uh, 23, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. We have to remember that Paul is speaking both to Jews and Gentiles. So he's got this multicultural, uh, diverse audience here. And the Jews struggle to find themselves equally condemned as the Gentiles. Obviously, right? They are God's people, right? They're God's people who think that they're absolutely the ones that deserve to be saved because they have the law. They've got the mark of God through circumcision. And um, they uh, are God's chosen people, the seed of Abraham. And they really struggle to see that they are equally condemned before the law as the Gentiles. And the Gentiles struggled with the understanding of how a Jewish rabbi had anything to do with bringing them salvation. And so this first statement about all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all, every single person, it, it's, a, it's a robust statement. It's an echo of what Paul's been trying to say over the past several chapters, and that we're all equally condemned, that there's no impartiality to the jurisdiction of the law, that essentially all of us will fall short. And all men, both Jew and Gentile, have equally fallen short of the righteous requirement that God revealed in the law. Now, the term falling short of the glory of God. Let's talk about that just for a second. That means that all have failed to meet the requirements to experience God's glory. There is a requirement to be found righteous, to be in God's presence, to see God's glory. And so our sin, um, you know, our, our sin does not just gain us punishment. That, that's part of the consequences, the penalty for our sin, but it also removes the eternal joy of being and experiencing God's glory. We've fallen short of that. And we've also, we've, we've fallen short of our own design. Um, you know, for something to be glorious, for example, uh, is it is to, to operate how you are designed to be. And so, for example, um, uh, a, a man is glorious when he operates as a man ought to operate according to God's design. A woman is glorious when she operates according to how God designed her to operate. It's not a glory to a man or to a woman to operate in an, in a, for example, it's not glorious for a man to be effeminate. Uh, that is not glorious. I, I talked about this on Twitter recently. It's not glorious for a woman to be an MMA fighter because that's not what the woman was designed for. She's designed for nurturing, not brutality. And so there's an element of glory here that we need to understand that we don't have time to really go deep in, but falling short of the glory of God, man is the glory of God. Um, there's an element there of, of we are, uh, have fallen uh, short of that glory in our sin. So there's a beautiful multidimensional angle of depth here that we don't have time to get into, but I wanted to at least share those things there. Uh, I'll give you an example of kind of falling short of the glory and not being in God's presence. You know, when you're a child and you're sent to your room for disobedience and you're, you have friends over, or maybe you have a dinner party over at your house, uh, they're, they're not just receiving punishment because of their, their sin and putting them away, but they're also losing the joy of inclusion with the other people that are there. And so they're, they're missing the glory of fellowship. And, and there's an element that's true here with falling short of the glory of God because of our sin, and our sin is what separates us from God. And the same is true of those who really die in their sins. And so people that uh, die in their sins essentially experience spiritual death, which is spiritual separation. So their soul 
is separated from the very thing that gives their soul life, which is God. And so there's a, a, a spiritual death there. It doesn't mean that they are annihilated. It doesn't mean that they are without existence. No, there will be a, a eternal existence for your soul. Everybody has an eternal soul that cannot die. But um, there is a lacking of life. Same today. If you have a, someone that is uh, not born again, um, they are spiritually dead. Um, they're physically alive or spiritually dead, but they're still here physically. Um, their soul is still existing. Um, and so some people want to say, oh, if you're spiritually dead, you're just, it's called annihilationism or that you just cease to exist. And so going to hell really isn't that bad because it's just ceasing to exist. No, hell is an existing state where you are separated from the life of spiritual life. Uh, um, and, and you won't, you won't, you will experience um, the penalty of your sin uh, against an eternal God. And so verse 24 says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Now that's a pretty dense passage of scripture right there. I mean, there are so many terms there. You could just spend, you could write an entire book on this verse alone. The whole Bible really anticipates the clarity of these verses right here. Uh, there are three terms in this sentence that we need to talk about. So Christians must understand justification, redemption, and propitiation. And so once you grasp these terms, you start to see that they, they're kind of like gears in a clock and they work together to make the gospel work. They, they work together to make faith be a valid justifying means to bring us and reconcile us back to God. But the only reason faith works in Christ is because of these three elements here, justification, redemption, and propitiation. And so we need to really grasp this. If these mechanics fail, the gospel doesn't function. If these mechanics fail, you can't be saved by faith alone. But because these things are working, it's what is the grounds of why you can be saved by faith. And so let's start with Paul's term being justified. Uh, we have to remember from Genesis 3 until, uh, you know, God's um, uh, revelation of Jesus Christ in his birth in the Advent season, which we are, which is upon us right now, uh, if you're listening to this live, the means to justify man before Christ was born and uh, his ministry and death and resurrection was a mystery. Um, now there was sure the revelation of uh, that in Genesis 15, 6, which we'll talk about in a second. But in the garden, man was separated from God because of his sin. Um, the, the, uh, well, I'll show you even start before that is that in the garden, uh, man was right with God and he was in fellowship in, in union. Um, there was no sin that separated them, but when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, they were separated from God, kicked out of the garden and through justification, um, by faith alone in Christ alone, they are now reconciled to God. And so that's the good news of the gospel, that we are no longer um, dead in our sins, separated from God, but reconciled to God through Christ. And so that's really the central theme of, of the Bible. Um, it's getting back to God. But again, who was the first one to proclaim justification by faith alone? We talked about this last week in the last episode, uh, that Genesis 15, 6 says to Abraham, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. It's kind of a hidden gem back there in Genesis that essentially belief, trust, faith uh, is the justifying means to receive righteousness. Um, and 
there was uh, faith in God was this very important element all the way through the Old Testament. Faith in Christ has become the the uh, further revelation and clarity. Um, it's called progressive le- revelation is that God progressively reveals himself over time through the scriptures as they are revealed, as the son is revealed. And so a description of a doctrine is different than a prescription of a doctrine. And so the Genesis passage was a description of the doctrine, but here in Romans, we get the prescription of the doctrine. So uh, even before Romans, we get further and further clarity on justification alone. It was uh, actually the angel in um, Matthew 121, uh, who was the first being to reveal Jesus's justifying capability uh, when he spoke to Joseph in a dream. And I'm going to read that to you right now. It says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Um, just take a note real quick that he's not saving everybody from their sins, but he will save his people uh, from their sins. Um, John the Baptist actually became the first person uh, to reveal Jesus's justifying capability when he said in John one twenty nine, behold, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so justification is a legal term, and we need to have a, a forensic, a, a legal courtroom view of the gospel because it's the easiest way, in my opinion, to understand it. Uh, it means to be declared right um, or to be declared right in relationship with God. Um, it's essentially to be innocent, um, to, to no longer have guilt. Uh, it solves humanity's guilt before a righteous God or a righteous judge and reconciles us back into union with God as a result. Um, it really strips away the shadow of sin between God and man. Spurgeon said, quote, justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone, end quote. So, um, you know, those who have received the righteousness of Christ um, through faith have been justified as a gift, and, and that's important. So this is this is something I want to just spend a second on. A, a gift is something that's different than something that's free, right? Uh, a gift is free to the recipient, but it's costly to the giver. Uh, there's an expense to the to the giver. Uh, Webster defines a gift as something voluntarily transferred by one person to another without compensation. And so the freeness of justification here implies that we haven't contributed to uh, this gift. Um, We haven't earned it. Uh, We haven't worked for it. Um, It was purchased by Christ without our involvement and given to us by grace. And that's an important uh, distinction to be made. I once heard that grace is an acronym for God's riches at Christ's expense. I'll say that again. Grace is an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, um, now, no gift should ever be expected, right? Uh, oftentimes we can feel that gifts are deserved. Um, we certainly can't feel that way about the gospel, but we can, we can feel that way. And this is not the case with this gift. Um, grace means to receive something we don't deserve. Uh, one theologian said, quote, the harlot, the liar, and the murderer are short of God's grace, but so are you. Perhaps you see them standing at the bottom of a mine and you on the crest of the Alps. But regardless of your station on earth, you are as little as they are able to touch the stars. End quote. 
So this is saying, hey, I don't care. <laughs> if you feel like you're at the top of the world and you're a quote, a good person, and you're looking down upon someone that's a murderer and a liar, both of you are un, are equally unable to reach the righteousness of Christ. You're both condemned. And that's really, I think, the message that Paul is trying to get across to the Jews and um, the Gentiles. The Jews had to step up, right? They're, they might be on the Alps and the Gentiles might be in the gutter, but at the end of the day, they're both the same because it's not enough to get them to Christ. Another theologian said, quote, grace is the good that you get from someone when he owes you nothing, end quote. Um, I would say that God's grace uh, even surpasses these definitions that I've been sharing with you here because not only does God hold back the punishment which you do deserve, which is mercy, but he actually gives you uh, what you don't deserve, which is grace. And so there's an element, the two-sided, right? He, he withholds and he gives, uh, which is really uh, quite profound. And so God's grace is, is multidimensional and it's deep. And it's something we need to recognize so that we have this beautiful grasp and comprehension of the gospel. Now, if you struggle to see the specialness of, of grace or of, of, of the gospel, it's either because A, um, you have not yet comprehended the depth of your own sin, um, uh, or B, you're harboring um, some sense of entitlement uh, that might be in your heart. Uh, you you have to know darkness to appreciate uh, light. You you have to know sickness to appreciate wellness. That's something that I've learned over the last several years. You have to know poverty to ex, uh, appreciate riches. Uh, you have to know valleys to appreciate the peaks, and you have to know sinfulness to really appreciate salvation. And so um, this is something that is important to have a proper and faithful and accurate view of your own wretchedness. And um, the way we do that is just looking at our own lives and realizing, well, I don't just need the gospel once. I need it every day because every day <clears throat> I sin and every day I'm in need of righteousness. And so um, Paul then says, that justification is through redemption. So that justification sits upon the grounds of redemption. So you can't be justified by faith as a gift unless you're redeemed. And so the redemption is in Christ Jesus. And so redemption in a biblical sense is really the payment. It's the payment price of a ransom. That's that's the, the, the definition that you would see in scripture, the way that it's being used there. It's the, the release or a buyback of an individual who can't free themselves. And so you, you really want to grasp that term, redemption. Um, redemption is the act of God to help those who are powerless to help themselves. Um, so it's, it really is a work of sacrificial labor. It's a blood payment price, which we'll talk about in a second. So, so the grace of justification is only made possible by the grounds of redemption paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so uh, grace is, is, is not simply overlooking the just payment required. God doesn't just simply overlook our sin. No, he actually makes somebody pay for it. And he does it himself by sending his son and paying for it. So he can't just overlook sin. Otherwise you have a God that doesn't have the uh, ethic of justice. And so just God is just. And so... Um, so there is a requirement for the payment. This is why uh, Matthew 20, 28 uh, says, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, end quote. 
So I, I want you to see this because redemption is one of those three essential mechanics of the gospel. You have justification, you have redemption, and then you have propitiation. And so I want to offer you some more scriptural support for this. So I'm going to read you a handful of scriptures that probably pop up on the screen here. 1 Corinthians 1.30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1.14, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Colossians 1.14, and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then Hebrews 9.15, and for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, in order that since a death has taken place for the redemption of of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And there's actually more. <laughs> those are just a few that really show the scriptural support there. The 19th century hymn writer, uh, James Gray, he wrote a stanza in one of his uh, poems, but really can be sung. It's called Nor Silver Nor Gold. And it says, quote, Nor silver nor gold hath obtained my redemption nor riches of earth could have saved my poor soul. The blood of the cross is my only foundation. The death of my Savior now maketh me whole, end quote. So, so justification um, solves the problem of man's guilt before God, but redemption is the means by which justification is even possible because there was a debt to be paid and that payment was paid by the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, life for life. Uh, the, the death, the, the sentencing was death and someone had to die for our sin and someone had to die who had complete righteousness in order to actually bring about full redemption for our sins and allow us to live. And so Paul then lays the foundation for redemption. He says, uh, quote, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. So he's talking about, again, you're kind of like seeing cascading waterfalls here, right? You're seeing that you're justified by faith alone and Christ alone, and you're justified as a gift, and you're justified because you've been redeemed, and you've been redeemed because there was a propitiation work that was accomplished there. So there's kind of these coordinating arguments that are causal clauses that are represented here. And so if justification is, is made possible only by redemption, then redemption is only made possible by uh, propitiation. So we need to know what propitiation means. Um, and to understand kind of the fullness of the context that's going on here in Romans, Paul tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, namely that, that death is the consequence of sin. Uh, that's what happens, spiritual death and physical death. And we see this as early as the Garden of Eden when God says to Adam, uh, Adam disobeyed, that he would surely die. That was already in, in the very first book of the Bible. And the lesson uh, that God is demonstrating is that when you sin, someone has to die. Um, and this was kind of modeled in a um, symbolic way with the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament. Uh, Leviticus 17.11, speaking of the, uh, the animals in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system says, quote, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So the Old Testament sacrificial system, again, it's not sufficient to take away sins eternally. Um, it, it was intended to symbolize a need for a lasting and perfect atonement. 
And so this is, again, this preparing us for and pointing us to a need for a Savior. So we needed an atonement to propitiate for us eternally, um, and, and an atonement that was essentially worthy to appease the eternal wrath of God against our sinfulness. And so uh, propitiation really is the satisfaction of justice, uh, which animals, as we um, we saw, c- cannot do, uh, but could be accomplished through Christ. So, so sinful humanity need a needed a a worthy human sacrifice. So we didn't need animals to die for humans. We needed a, a worthy human sacrifice. This is why Jesus had to be fully man and fully God. He was a human sacrifice uh, under the law. Um, and he would satisfy the wrath of God. He would, in doing that, he would maintain God's perfect justice and atone for the sins of all who have received um, him by faith. And so uh, this is exactly what Christ did. Um, this, again, three-part mechanical uh, element of the gospel. Um, and I want to read you Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. And I know that's a big chunk of scripture. So you're going to just hang in here with me. And uh, my poor editor, Trevor, is going to have to do some great uh, motion graphics for this here. So uh, it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins each year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, quote, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Wow, what a beautiful passage of scripture. Again, showing how Jesus comes in and fulfills the sacrificial symbolic system of the old covenant, and he becomes that perfect sacrifice. So ultimately, God has put together this perfect collection of mechanics to achieve salvation for his people. He has justified them as guiltless as a gift through the workless means of faith, that's step one, um, because he has redeemed them by the blood payment of a perfect sinless human sacrifice in Jesus Christ, uh, which has satisfied or propitiated 
his eternal need for justice upon sinners. That's this beautiful three-part piece of salvation. So when we understand this master plan of salvation, uh, we can finally grasp the force of beautiful verses like Romans 8, 33 to 34 that says, quote, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. And so when you realize what God has done to save sinners, you realize that there's nobody that can condemn somebody. Only God can condemn uh, and only God can save. But for those that are saved, uh, we have absolute confidence because of the immense work that he's accomplished on our behalf. Uh, I'll close with some words from Spurgeon because that's always a good way to close, right? Spurgeon says, quote, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Conscience accuses us no longer. Judgment now decides for the sinner instead of against him. Memory looks back upon past sins with deep sorrow for the sin, but yet with no dread of any penalty to come. For Christ has paid the debt of his people to the last jot and tittle and received the divine receipt. And unless God can be so unjust as to demand double payment for one debt, no soul for whom Jesus died as a substitute can ever be cast into hell, end quote. Powerful passage of scripture, powerful quote right there. Hopefully this gives you again more confidence and a deeper theological uh, grasp of the mechanics of the gospel, that you can rest in Christ and that your works and your obedience can be driven to please God, but not to justify yourself. So uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Real Christianity. Uh, your faithful listenership is really a blessing to our ministry. Uh, again, this is the end of the year. And if you would consider uh, making a donation or supporting our ministry, uh, we would love that. You can go to relearn.org forward slash donate to do so. Um, if you also haven't left a review for this podcast, we would appreciate that. You can leave a review by uh, going to your podcast app. You don't even need to write anything. You just need to tap the stars. But if you do write something, I will read it. Uh, on that note, my name is Dale Partridge. This is Real Christianity, and we'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. Also, would you consider leaving a review? You don't need to write anything. Just tap the stars in your podcast app. But if you would write a review, we will read it. Real Christianity is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, and of course, at relearn.org. You can also follow along on social media. Just search for relearn.org or Dale Partridge on just about every social media platform. Lastly, if you feel led to support our ministry financially as we fight to bring the church back to the Bible, you can always do that at relearn.org forward slash donate.